Welcome to Mariner's Church Weekend Message Podcast, inspiring people to follow Jesus and fearlessly change the world. Discover your purpose and get connected by visiting marinerschurch.org or click the link in the show notes. I think most of us have seen on TV the Antique Roadshow, where people have come and they get their treasures assessed to see if they're valuable. They found something in their grandmother's attic or at a flea market, or it's just been in their family for a number of years. And they bring it to the experts to see if it has value. Because we all want to know that our stuff, these treasures have value. Now, sometimes it's not worth anything, but every once in a while, there's something that has got great value. My wife, Lori, loves old things. And when we travel, she loves to go to old junk shops and she treats it like she's an archeologist. She goes in and she begins to climb over in things and look at different things. And she just loves finding old things that she believes is a treasure. One time when we were traveling, she went to this one junk shop and she said, oh, this is gonna take a while. Kenton, you just go over to that coffee shop over there. You sit there, it's gonna be a couple hours. After about two hours, she came out and she was so excited. As she came out, there was dust flying off of her. There were streaks, streaks of dirt across her face. And she came out holding this bag and it was a treasure. And she told me this story. She goes, Kenton, I went around and I looked through uh, this store and there were all sorts of interesting things. But way in the back, there were boxes that hadn't even been opened. I asked the owner if I could go through the boxes. He said, sure. So I went through them and they're old bottles and books. And I went through a different box each at a time. But finally, towards the end, there was this one box that had a bunch of old pots in it, just potting pots that just grew plants. But there was one pot that looked different than the rest of them. And with excitement, she said, I reached down and I grabbed it. And this, old, this pot that it looked cracked and it looked old, I, I thought, this thing isn't it isn't like a regular pot. It's made out of porcelain. And I, I touched it and just kind of tried to clean one section. He goes, I think this thing is a treasure. So she went trying to you know, mask her excitement to the front counter and said, you know, how much for this pot? And he goes, oh, we're selling all the pots for five bucks. He barely looked at it. And so she came out and she goes, look, look at what I have. And so she opens it up and it's like this eight inch pot, which is a bowl. It is half full of dirt. You can see it was used for potting some kind of a plant. And it didn't look anything special to me, but she goes, look at it. Look at, there's this pattern in it. It is special. We went home and when she got home, she began to clean it. And she was very careful and she began to clean it. And each day she found different things. And over time, this beautiful pattern emerged and it was this beautiful porcelain uh, bowl. And it, I mean, she thinks it's worth thousands of dollars, but she has placed it in a position of honor in our home. And so that when people come, they go, oh my God, what is that? And she tells the story. So it's a beautiful bowl that's absolutely spectacular that has this great story. Now imagine in that story that the original owner would come back to the shop and he said, I want my bowl back. And he goes, well, a gal bought it. Maybe he would give Lori's name. And so you can imagine the original owner of the bowl coming to our house. And he says, I'd like to buy that, that bowl back. I just want to plant another plant. Lori's response would be, oh, I'm sorry. That, that bowl is no longer available. You see, I've cleaned it inside and out. And it is spectacular. And I think that it is a treasure. And I've given it a whole new use. It would be wrong. It would be an injustice. It would be an insult to use that bowl to just plant 
he has a simple potting uh, pot. And so she wouldn't give it back. Now I'm going to read to you out of 1 Peter verses 1 through 18. And, I mean, 1, 18 and 19. And when you hear this, what I want you to hear is that that bowl is your story if you're a believer in Jesus. Look at what it says. For you know that you were redeemed. Redeemed is the key word in this passage. Redeemed simply means to be bought back. And so look at what he says, that you were redeemed from your empty way of life that was inherited from your ancestors. And so what he's saying in the first part of this is that you, you know, you used your life for all of the wrong things, not for what it was desired to be, uh, designed to be. And you ended up in a junk shop in the back because you just were a regular, you know, pot. But then what happened is that your heavenly father came in and he searched through all these things. He found you and he says, then he bought you. And he says, he bought you not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished spotless lamb. God came into that junk shop and he found you and he understood the value that you had as a person, what you were designed to be. So he bought you, he cleaned you inside and out. And he purchased you, he says, ultimately through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And he says the lamb and what Peter's using is this powerful picture, which is the defining story in the Old Testament where God delivered his people out of the slavery of Egypt with the price of the blood of the lamb. But that story was part of a much greater story that God was telling. So that now God comes in the person of Jesus and he gives his life to buy us back out of this empty way of life, this useless way of life, so that now we can become his own children and we can have a new purpose to our life. Why that's important is because when we understand this truth and we live in it, we live lives of purpose and meaning. We have great dreams for our life because we understand that God loves us. And when we hold on to this and we act like it is so, even when we don't believe it is so, when we don't feel it, we can't see it, we don't understand what's going on in our life, but we hold on to that truth and act like it's true, then it changes our life. Our lives are everything that God designed it to be. We live with the thrill of God's love, amazed by his grace. We're inspired by his presence in our life. We live with a sense of power. He has cleaned us. He has cleaned us inside and out. He has put us in a position of honor. We have a new purpose for our life. But when we forget this, we live, what Peter says, just an empty life. The pain of life, the confusion of life, uh, the anxieties, the challenges, the sufferings of this life just beat into us a sense of uselessness. We become hopeless and we start to live an empty life. This truth is critical for us to be the people that God has designed us to be. So in the book of 1 Peter, we're gonna look at the verses uh, in our, the passage that you can see. We're gonna look from verses 13 to 24. And in this passage, Peter teaches us how to live a hope-filled life. He's gonna say three things to us. You've got to embrace a new way of thinking. And this new way of thinking leads to a better lifestyle, ultimately with a far greater motivation. So a new way of thinking to a new lifestyle, to a whole new motivation for our life. So first of all, let's look at what he says about a new way of thinking. In verse uh, 13, he says, 
Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded, self-controlled is what that means, and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He starts with therefore, and that therefore means based on what he said in verses one through 12. And last week, Jared talked to us about that, and he captured what was the most important verses in the first 13 verses in verse six and seven, where he says, we greatly rejoice when we suffer, which sounds crazy. Why would you rejoice when you suffer? And it isn't that we rejoice in hard times. We rejoice in difficult times, not because they're hard, but because God is working. He says, we rejoice greatly when we suffer because our faith is being refined as if by fire. And what Peter's talking about in this passage is these people in Peter's day were going through tremendous persecution and suffering and pain and sadness. They were being persecuted for their faith. They were losing their land. They lost their rights. And we understand suffering, maybe not the way that those people did then, but we understand that we live in a broken world and we, we have loss and death. We lose our health. We lose our loved ones. Uh, we, they, we suffer through a pandemic. There is suffering from a broken world. And the problem with suffering is that it creates a hopelessness in our life because all of us desire that our life would be better, that things can be better. But there is this uncomfortable truth that we're faced with every day, which is there is pain and there's suffering and difficulty and challenges. And ultimately we die and all of our friends die and most everything that we do will be forgotten. And in that kind of a feeling of hopelessness, what we try to do is we have to find some kind of hope. And so we try to create a hope. We look to education, we look to philosophy, to religion. We say, you know what, if we live a better life, uh, if we raise our children well, if we're successful, somehow things will be better and we hold on to that. But the problem with that thinking is that we are just too weak to build a sense of hope for our own life. And what Peter says, and I love this, that God's word leans into this uncomfortable truth that life is hard and there are suffering and challenges. But in it, what he says is that God is working and he's making us better. He's refining us even by fire. There's four truths that you find in most every book in the New Testament. First, there is suffering and pain and sadness in this world. We don't have to prove that. All of us live in it every day. We live in a broken world. Secondly, that pain has a purpose. The most amazing truth is that God is good and he is powerful enough to use the pain and suffering in our life to build us and to make us better people. This is the living hope that Peter's talking about. There is a, a, a blacksmith who took his son to work one day. And when his son was there, he watched his father take out this, this hunk of metal and he put it into a blazing hot fire. Then he brought it out, put it on an anvil and he began to pound it. And then he'd look at it, then he put it in the fire again He'd bring it out and he would pound it again and pound the metal. And then he'd look at it. Then he'd put it back into the fire and he would pound it again. Sometimes he would put it in ice cold water. It would hiss. Then he would look at it. Then he would put it in the fire, then take it out and pound it on the anvil again until finally this metal became the, uh, a beautiful piece of art. And then he polished it. And his son looked at him and he said, dad, when are you going to be done with that? And he says, when I can see my image in it, then it is done. And ultimately, that's what God is doing in us. God is using the pains of life. Now, God is not beating us with the pain of life. 
That's not what's happening. But instead of the pains of life just beating us into a hunk of battered metal, God uses the pains and sufferings, the difficulties of this life to make it so that we become these beautiful pieces of art. And ultimately, we're done when he can look and he sees his reflection in us. He sees love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness. You see what, Paul, what Peter is saying is that pain has a purpose. It's not wasted in this life. Now, we don't get to choose our trials. <laughs> and the obvious reason is we'd all choose the same trials. We would choose the trials of wealth, prosperity, success, fame. I don't know why we get the trials that we do. The Bible doesn't explain that to us, but we know that we all face trials, that God uses them to build us. We don't get to choose them. And ultimately we don't go through them alone. The Bible says that God is near the brokenhearted. He is close to the crushed in spirit. And so when we go through the most challenging moments of life, God is near us and he loves us. He takes care of us. He never leaves us alone. And so the first thing that Peter says in this passage is he says, therefore, you've got to set your minds for action. Get ready for every day. Get your thinking right. How do we get our thinking right? Just understand, we face suffering and pain in this world, but God is good and he uses it to make us better. And that's the hope that we have. The second thing that he says is be self-controlled. Be sober-minded. And I think when we see that, we go, that's right. What I got to do is I got to change some things. There's stuff in my life that's got to change. I tend to overindulge. I tend to overweak, overwork. I need to exercise more. I need to eat less. I've got to be kinder. And so what we do is we immediately begin to power up and say, all right, I've got to exert some self-control. But that's not the way it works because ultimately when we think that we can change ourselves, by just applying our will and and just being stronger, that leads to hopelessness. We try, we fail. We try again, we fail. We try again and we fail. And ultimately, that's why you see addicts absolutely just be desperate in hopelessness because they have tried so many times and they can't change. It isn't their lack of trying. They don't have the ability. But what they learn ultimately in the 12 steps and is true in all of life They learn they can't, but God can. And when we surrender our life to him, he gives us the power to become the people that we need to be. And that's what it means to be sober-minded, to understand I can't, but God can and he produces in me. The fruit of the spirit is self-control. He creates the strength in us for us to be the very people that we need to be. And then he says, so set your minds completely on grace. What God has done, He bought us, he paid for us, what he is doing. He is cleaning our lives both inside and out. That's what he's doing today. And ultimately what he will do one day, even death will not stop God's work. One day we'll pass from this life to the next life and we will be with him and we will be like him. And so we set our minds totally on grace. So the first thing that Peter says is get your thinking straight, think right. The difficulties of this life, they're not destroying you. They are making you better. That's what hope is. Things can be better. I can be better. God is making me better. Get your thinking right. And then the next thing he says is you've got to have a new lifestyle. And if I said, what is the lifestyle of a Christian? I guarantee you'd punch out these two words. 
We got to be obedient. We've got to be holy. And that's what he says in verses 14 and 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all of your conduct, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Obedience, what does it mean to be an obedient child uh, of God? It's not to be pressed into the old mold. It is not to be pushed into the world's norm, to be conformed to the world's norm. And we know what that is. When we're pushed into selfishness or self-centeredness, we're self-righteous. When we just pursue power and pleasure, these are the things of the world and they're just pressing us into the old mold. Don't do that. We want to follow God's way. Well, why is it that we so quickly just fall into old habits? Well, because it's what we're used to. I have four sons and I used to coach soccer. And during the seasons when I was coaching them, you'd have a bunch of little guys, you know, 12 guys, 11 guys running around on a field. And they got used to listening to my voice. And so even if their parents were there or there were lots of uh, parents screaming, they would hear my voice and they would respond to it. And they would do what I'd say as I was moving them around the field. After the season was over, I'd see them around in the community, maybe at a park or by a pool, and they'd be running and I'd yell, I'd go, hey, stop running. And immediately that boy would stop running and he'd turn, mostly because he's used to listening to my voice. Then he'd turn and look at me and he'd get that funny look like, hey, it's not wrong to run here. And why are you telling me not to run? And oh, it's my old coach. And it, but he was just used to listening to my voice. That's what happens. If we aren't mindful, we just fall into the old way of living where we're pressed into the world mold. God's, Peter says, don't do that. Don't let the world press you into its mold. But instead, he says, be holy. And holiness simply means set apart for God's purposes. Holiness cannot be reduced to five actions that you do that are holy. Holiness is a lifestyle. It's a mental mindset that God has purchased you. He's cleaned you from the inside and on the outside. And he has given you a new purpose for your life, a different purpose for your life. And so when you lived thrilled by God's presence in your life, amazed by his grace, inspired by his power and how he is transforming you in your life, when you're mindful of the good things that he's doing in your life, literally you're setting yourself apart. You're saying, I have higher purposes, more important purposes in my life. And so God has set us aside to be holy. Well, if we're holy and God's working to make us holy, one of the questions that I'm asked a lot is, well, then why am I not more holy? Why am I not more set apart? Why don't I live a life better if God's working in me? And I think there's two truths that we always have to remind ourselves of. One is sin has created more damage in our life than we ever understand. I mean, the truth of it is sin has broken us and damaged us, and we really are more broken people than we want to admit. And we tend to minimize that and rationalize it, but we are just more, we are more covered by the dirt of this world and sin than we want to admit. But secondly, God's grace is more amazing than we ever understand. God is not surprised by the brokenness of our life. He's not overwhelmed at the work that he has to do to clean us from the inside and out. He never gets discouraged that we're not further along. And when you hold on to those truths, yeah, I'm more damaged by sin, 
but God's grace is more powerful and amazing than I can imagine, then that's sort of what gets me through life because that's the way it works. I am more broken and God's grace is more amazing. And when I understand that, I embrace this truth that God has set me apart for his purposes. So I have a new way of thinking. The pain of this life is making me into a better person. I've got a new lifestyle where I'm obedient and I'm embracing the holiness that God is building into my life. And now I have a new motivation for life. And there's really three things that he says here. He says, when I have this new motivation, I live with no fear. I am loved to be loving. So no fear. I am loved to be loving. Look at what he says uh, in verse 17. For you appeal to the father. So we have a father who judges. So we have a judge impartially according to each one's work. You are to conduct yourself in reverence during your time living as strangers or as immigrants. Here, now we have three different terms that captures the role of our heavenly father. He's redeemed us. So he's the one who bought us out of sin. He is our father and a father is one who protects us, gives us our identity. And now we see him as a judge and a judge is one who brings justice and righteousness. So how is it that God captures all three of these roles? And here is the good news that ultimately we don't live in fear. If you are a believer in Jesus, God's verdict and his justice has already been announced and carried out in your life so you can live with no fear. You see, when Jesus went to the cross, he took our sin and he took the punishment, the verdict for that sin, which is death. So Jesus died the death that we were already dying. And as a result of that, we now are right. We are free, we are forgiven, our debt is paid. And so we live with no fear. In Romans 8, it says, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And one thing that I love to talk about and share with my friends that are not followers of Jesus, they don't come to church, they don't know God in a personal way through Jesus, I constantly talk to them about this idea that I live with no fear because I know in their life, they live constantly looking over their shoulder. They know what they've done. They know where they've gone. They know what they think. And they're pretty sure at some point, it's just gonna catch up with them in life. And if not in this life, someday standing before God, I go, I would hate to hold the weight of all the brokenness of my life and stand before a pure and holy God. But I say to him over again, the most amazing thing, I live with no fear. I have no fear of standing before God because the verdict and the judgment for all of my brokenness has already been placed on Jesus. I really do every day. I know it's an amazing thing, but I live with no sense of fear. And that's why in this passage, he says, so we live as strangers or as immigrants. This world isn't our home, but we live with a mission to show and tell others about God's wonderful kindness and love. So we live with no fear. And then second, we live as loved people. So no fear and we are loved. And this gets back to the very first verses that I read to you. For you know that you were redeemed, you were bought out of this empty way of life that you inherited from your ancestors. When we were born just into the human race, we were born into an empty life because of the brokenness in the world. And we were bought not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, he paid the ultimate price for us like that of the unblemished and spotless lamb. 
So we are loved and we are loved because of what God paid for us. And I think that when we really understand God's love in our life, what happens is that in your heart, you just sing. If you heard this song by Lauren Daigle, she has captured beautifully what does it mean to be loved the way that Peter talks about it. You've heard it. It's on every radio station, Christian and non-Christian. She sings, you say that I am loved when I can't feel a thing. She says, even when I can't feel it, you tell me that I'm loved. She says, you say I am strong when I think that I am weak. You say that I am held when I'm falling short. You say that I belong and you say, when I don't belong, you say that I am yours. And then she sings so powerfully, I believe. Oh, I believe. She says, I believe what you say of me. Ultimately, when you embrace God's love for you, that is the heart. That's the song that your heart sings. You say that I'm strong. I feel weak. I'm going to believe that. When I feel worthless, I feel alone and lost. I'm going to believe that I am your love child. When I feel like I have no value, I'm not going to believe what I think. I'm going to believe that I have infinite value because you gave your life for me. Oh, I'm going to believe that. That when, when your heart sings that, that means you've really metabolized the truth that I am loved. And then Peter, I think at this point, just can't help himself. And he kind of breaks out in these next two verses because it's such good news, isn't it? I mean, we're loved. The pains of life don't destroy us. God uses them to make us better. Uh, You know, we don't live with fear. And in all of that, he just kind of busts into these next verses because I think Peter thinks if there was one person who could have messed up God's plan for his life, And for the universe, it would have been Peter because Peter, who was a follower of Jesus, apostle at the most critical moment, he denied Jesus. He ran away. I mean, the cross all of a sudden happens and you think, oh my gosh, everything's breaking out of control. But Peter can't help himself. And he goes, it never broke. This was God's plan all along. It says he, speaking of Jesus, Jesus was uh, foreknown before the foundation of the world, but he was revealed in these last times for you. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. He is saying in this passage that is just amazing. You know what? I didn't ruin God's plan. You didn't, the cross wasn't a second idea. This was God's plan all along. Then he goes back. Okay, so there's no fear. We are loved. And the reason we are loved is to be loving. Look at verse 22. Since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart, love one another constantly. God loves us to love others. In fact, God's great plan is to change this world through you and your love towards other believers, to other people in your life. Ultimately, Jesus said, you know the way the world will know and they'll be transformed and drawn to my love for them is because you love one another. Uh, When we are with each other and we love each other, Jesus in John 17 prayed for our unity. He says, God, make them one as you and I are one, that ultimately the world would know that I came, that I was sent by you and that I, that you love them. The way the world knows that God loves them is through our love. So when we 
show kindness and graciousness to each other. It's not that we're the same people. We're not uniform. There's unity. We don't have the same political beliefs. We don't have the same income. We don't have the same education. We are wonderfully different people. But because we love each other, we startle the world with our grace, our kindness, our willingness to forgive, to move at people and to give them a second chance. And the reason we do that is because God has given us a second chance. God has given us his grace and his kindness. The greatest statement that people can say against the church is ultimately those people judge each other. They're unkind to each other. They criticize each other. They don't forgive each other. People shouldn't come to church if that's what's true of us. But God has transformed us and made us loving people so that we love people and that love transforms people. And I'll tell you, there are, when you don't forgive someone, you ice them out, when you criticize them or judge them, there are two tragic things that happen in your life. First, you do not really metabolize. You have not understand God's great grace in your life. You're keeping it at a distance. And secondly, you are fostering hopelessness in your life because you're saying they can't change. I can't change. This will never change. And so you lock them in a box and you lock your own thinking into a place of hopelessness. And that is just not a part of who we are. We are people who love because we have been loved. And then he concludes in verses 23 through 25. He says, because you've been born again, not with perishable seed, but with imperishable. Look at the contrast. He's gonna contrast things that don't last with things that do last. Through the living and enduring word of God, the thing that lasts forever. For all flesh, this does not last, is like grass and its glory, like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is the gospel that is proclaimed to you. Things that don't last. He says, look at the grass, look at flowers, even our bodies. Ultimately, they don't last, we die. But what is the one thing that lasts? God's truth and his promises. And what is God's promise to us? Bible tells us when God created the world, everything was right. We lived in a wonderful world of love and connection, but we didn't like it that way. And so we walked away from God. We rebelled. We wanted life on our own terms. And we ruined everything. We brought the brokenness into the world, the corruption and the sin, the pain, the sadness, all of the loss. We brought that into the world. But God loved us too much to leave us that way. And so God says, I, he came into this world in the person of Jesus. And here's what he did. He found us. And he knew, I mean, he saw us and he goes, you are so valuable. And he died the death that we are already dying. He paid the price for our sin. He bought us, redeemed us out of sin. He cleaned us inside and out. He gave us his spirit who transforms us. And here's the most amazing truth that Peter says in this passage. And this is this daring, courageous hope that in our life, even in the most severe moments, in the pain and suffering and loss, the most challenging and difficult sadnesses in life, we can clench our fists and say, God is good. And ultimately he will bring some good out of this. He doesn't leave me. And he's actually using this very painful moment in my life to make me better, to make things better, which is ultimately my hope in this life. And ultimately even death does not destroy hope because Jesus died and he rose from the dead 
so that one day he will make me alive again with him so that I will be like him and I will be with him. And this is our great hope. So Peter challenges us in this passage through things. He goes, get your mind in gear here. Think right. I mean, understand what's going on. God is good all the time and he is building and changing us and using the pains of life to make us the people that we need to be. So he says, live a new life, you know, live obedient and live holy and live inspired. You don't need to live with fear. You are loved so that you can be loving. The most, there is no statement, statements that are more destructive to our soul than these. It will never change. Things will never change. I can't change. God isn't working. I can't see him working. I don't feel that he's working. Nothing good can come out of that. These are the most hopeless statements there are. And when we believe those, we have no sense of hope. But when we hold on to hope, we say three things. We say, I believe and I will act like what God said is so, even when it doesn't seem so, even when I can't feel it, even when I can't see it, I'm gonna believe that God is doing what he said, that I'm loved, that I am valuable, that I am, that I am cared for. I'm gonna believe that it is so because God said so. That is the power of hope. And so in every situation, we say God is working and he is good and he can bring about God. I will believe and act like it is so, even when it doesn't seem so, because God said so. Pray with me. God, we are so glad that you are a God of hope, that in a broken world, we don't have to try to create our own hope, to find hope, that you have given us a hope that is powerful and realistic and that it works in the real world that we live in, in the pain and the suffering, the difficult moments of life, you have given us a real world hope. And we hold on to you because you are the only one that has hope. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, extend your hands, please, and let me pray a prayer of blessing over you as we go. Jesus, I pray you'd bless your sons and daughters this week, that you would remind them that you are gentle and approachable and that you love them. Cause your face to shine on them. I pray they will experience your mercy and your joy this new week. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Go in peace, have a great week. Thanks for tuning in to the Mariner's Weekend Message Podcast. To support the ministry of Mariner's Church, you can click the link in the show notes or download the Mariner's app at your favorite app store. If you've been navigating God's wisdom with us through this year's annual read and would like to hear personal reflections from pastors in your community, check out the Gospel Everyday Podcast. Imagine feeding your heart, mind, and soul with the kind of practical wisdom that will change your life. If you haven't picked up the annual read yet, visit marinerschurch.org or download the Mariners app for more information on where to find it.